Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. This week, the story is all about that which isn't precisely human in Star Wars, but shares a lot in common with humans. So, uh, it wasn't so long ago, we did a 6 and 6 episode about our favorite aliens in the galaxy far, far away, specifically ones that are like of the critter, pet, beast variety. Uh, And this week, we're going in the other direction. We're breaking down our top six favorite Star Wars aliens with agency, rather um, the more civilized ones. I find it really difficult to define, Ross. Uh, Where do you draw the line of distinction for these two kinds of, these two classes of alien creatures? I think you do, I think you just said it there, uh, agency and civilization. I think civilization is probably one of the big ones. Uh, I think mentally, we go probably to a a bipedal um, design as our first thought, although that is not exclusive. uh, And it is not, um, in terms of like a a rancor, for example, would have fit into our last category as well. And there will be characters and species that certainly uh, fit the other side. I found this one to be just ripe with honorable mentions. There were so many different uh, species that have uh, rich home worlds and cultures associated with them uh, are similar to humans could take the place uh, of a human in star wars like in theory there are so many different races in which oh i wonder if this character was this species now that's never going to work where you can't say oh i wonder if luke skywalker were a wampa that's just the story doesn't work but you could, in theory, say, what if Luke Skywalker were any one of these species? And that could make for a really cool sort of what if. And I mean, what if's been a big topic of, of uh, pop culture lately. But just in terms of these are species that as viewers, we're also able to somewhat relate to because they have agency as we do as humans. Uh, and so that's one of the big things that uh, distinguishes them. Uh, a lot of the times also it will be... Um, whether or not they have uh, a voice, uh, another kind of angle, or whether or not the the voice has been made by just some other sound too. A lot of creatures have sound effects, yeah. whereas these have uh, sounds effect, sound effect artists making voice noises um, to create speech pattern that would be uh, a dialogue that is supposed to be understood as opposed to just growls. There are exceptions to that rule, though, right? Like, I'm pretty sure there are yeah. alien characters with agency whose voices are more sound effecty than they are uh, performances. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, but it just, I, I kind of took that as um, from an origins perspective very kind of more of an original trilogy perspective but yes it definitely does branch out once again not an exclusive thing very much more along the lines of the the bipedal uh sort of the way you first kind of think about all the potential characters so like you said there are going to be a lot of honorable mentions there's a lot of like deep in the weeds examples that we can give and we'll try to give as many as possible but this is really one of those categories with a lot of obvious answers a lot of kind of inarguable answers. So how do you, or rather, did you find it challenging to separate the most beloved essential examples of these uh, of this category from the ones that you might be a little bit more familiar with in nuance? Uh, yes and no. There are some that I've chosen that uh, I think there's a slam dunk you will have chosen. I think there's maybe some that I will have chosen that you will be surprised that maybe I chose or that maybe you didn't think of so directly. Uh, but won't surprise you when you think of them. Uh, 
I think there will be some that you will be surprised aren't in my top six okay. that are in my honorable mentions. And then there are some in my honorable mentions that I wish could have been in a top six to be able to talk about them more. Uh, and so there are some, some cool ones that I will encourage uh, you to also Google after, because I'm sure there's a couple in here. I know there's one in speci- specifically that uh, you'll have to Google because there's only one character of the species and they're, they're a cool looking creature later on in the honorable mentions. But I think for, for all of the, of uh, my six, you will, you'll know right away exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have any super deep cuts in my top six, uh, whereas I sometimes can, can have those. Gotcha. Okay. So just in case there's any more confusion about how this category breaks down, as you mentioned, say a Rancor, which is the big beast in Return of the Jedi, that would not qualify for this because it's someone's pet. It is powerful, but it is working in service of someone else's agenda because it doesn't have the faculties to govern itself. However, say Gungans have their own civilization, their own society, their own uh, language, I suppose, but they operate with uh, personal agencies. So that's kind of the distinction, and we're using the latter in our countdowns. I'm going to go first. Uh, my number six is a really uh, essential one. It's Wookiees. Uh, arguably, like the original example in this category in all of Star Wars. Uh, the first clear instance, I think, where you get to see uh, a character, or in fact, you get to like love a character. You get to actually feel attached to a character in spite of their not speaking your language, in spite of their not looking precisely like a human. Obviously, Chewie is our essential uh, Wookiee, and he's this great combination of ferocious and sweet. And I don't know if those two traits are uh, exhibited in all Wookiees as a, as a species, but it does demonstrate the species' capacity for nuance and range. Uh, they're primitive, they're also brutal, they're great soldiers, they're great companions, uh, and, and also you mentioned noises. I mean, they make one of the most iconic noises in all of Star Wars. It's that that throat effect that we've all uh, attempted to recreate. Wookiees are an absolute essential. Absolutely. I'm so happy you have Wookiees. Uh, they were the one that I felt was the most uh, certainly egregious uh, thing to leave off of my list. Uh, they did leave them off my list. I'd say they were just just on the cutting room floor. Um, but yeah, the Wookiees, like you said, they're the walking carpets, um, overgrown, um, like, it's just, it is, the Wookiees are, like you said, they're, they're the original trilogy beast. They're this uh, dog, human, they're, uh, the, the sidekick, the, the loyal companion, uh, but also with the holiday special, their entire culture was introduced at such an early point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go to Kashyyyk and uh, I mean, I haven't seen the holiday special directly through, but the lore of it still extends beyond that and has been brought into canon even from there. And Re- uh, Revenge of the Sith, we go back to Kashyyyk and you get to see uh, their warrior like culture. And it, I mean, it is a bit cheesy to have Chewbacca there, but it does bring it full circle in a nice kind of way to show that the empire has had such an impact on this race in particular, and that they're one of the most downtrodden races in the entire galaxy. Uh, and so to see that even more in solo with another kind of rogue Wookiee, just in a slave camp, uh, and I think it would have uh, continued to make sense to, to see Wookiees uh, exist in, in, in more stories on, on a broader scale. I think uh, there's some great Wookiee Jedis, Buryaga, um, uh, he's a new Wookiee Jedi in the High Republic. Uh, he's cool uh, because only a couple other Jedi can understand him, but some are, like make the real concerted effort. And, um, but uh, Wookiees are, 
so connected to nature as well. So it makes sense to have kind of a Wookiee Jedi and that's a really kind of creative uh, take on things. So I'm really excited to see uh, more species get that kind of treatment, a, a beloved sort of race that, okay, gets put in the spotlight every once in a while because it's so beloved. Isn't it interesting too that in Solo, and we were just talking about Rancors, that they tried, like you're right that Wookiees are, are, are so downtrodden. Uh, they tried to placate them in the other category that wouldn't qualify for tonight's game like here we are deciding no they are determinably self-governing uh with agency as a species and yet they tried to chain it up like a rancor and that didn't work out for them like fascism tried to uh take control over the wookies and um they proved that they could overcome that so that's that's kind of a neat little nuance for for the species absolutely it's your turn for number uh, six my number six is uh, uh, an interesting one. It is it is a subspecies, so I'm not going with Zabrax as a whole, but I'm going with, in particular, uh, our night brothers and our night sisters, our Dathomirian Zabrax. Uh, and so that would be uh, our most famous Dathomirian Zabrax would be Darth Maul. Uh, and then after that, would be his brother, Savage Opress, which would be one of the most ridiculous names in all of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at their design is incredible the the tattooed uh layout the horns uh zabrax uh from iridonia look a little odd like east cough and agent Kolar. they've got the kind of like um brown bumpy uh skin and then the horns aren't as aren't as pointy uh and it's the, they're not as evil seeming the witchiness of a night brother and a night sister fits so aligned mm. with the way that the horns are of a Zabrak. Uh, and the fact that this race ha has such a connection to the dark side as well, and their use of magic and the force, uh, it's such an interesting race that you have so many layers beyond just being, okay, this is the way that they look, but they're incredibly intelligent. We see many different force using examples. Uh, pretty much, I actually, now that I think of it, I can't think of a Zabrak off the top of my head that isn't a force user. Uh, and so that's, uh, I mean, I'm sure there is one probably in a novel somewhere along the way or a comic book. Uh, but uh, in particular, the, the Knight Brothers and Knight Sisters, I think we're going to learn a lot more about them in the Acolyte, potentially. Uh, but Darth Maul stories, which we'll also take a look into when we go into the Clone Wars arc, uh, you'll really get to see the way that they use magic and kind of can manipulate the dark side of the Force in a different way that isn't as um, parasitic, but is more harmonious with the dark side. Um, and so is less kind of conflicting with the force. It's, it's, it's an interesting sort of balance, but it, it very much goes into a lot of your standard uh, mythical witchiness. I, I didn't even realize that there were different breeds of Zabrax. Uh, and so to be clear, they are like biologically different away from they death here? Yes, they come from different locations. And in addition to that, they have very different connections uh, to the force. Uh, Dathomir, Dathomir is, um, I don't I, I don't know off the top of my head if it's a nexus in the force, but I think it has to be considering the 
incredible intensity of dark side magic that exists there mm -hmm. uh, amongst all of uh, the, the Knight brothers and Knight sisters, Ventress being a Knight sister, the other, she'd be the second most famous of the, the Dathomirian Zabrax. Uh, but we'll we'll do a, a Clone Wars arc that uh, goes into, I don't know if we're going to really do any ones that focus on Ventress anytime soon. Maybe if the Acolyte does indeed go into uh, Night Sisters, then we'll definitely do something before that. Um, but we will go into some more of the stuff that you'll get to, to meet Mother Talzin at least, um, because we'll want to we'll want to go over Darth Maul's resurrection arc in the Clone Wars at some point, I'm sure. I think when I first met Darth Maul in 1997 or whatever it was, I didn't realize that they were tattoos. And I'm not even sure that they were committed to that being a tattoo. But like, uh, I don't remember when I realized, oh, that that's just like part of his specific menace. It's not just what the scary creature happens to look like. Well, yes and 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 no. It, they are tattoos, but they are also. I've never seen a Dathomir in Sabrak without those tattoos. He's also so, pretty uh, specifically supposed to kind of look like the devil, and because it's yeah. like red and black, like it 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 feels natural to the character. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but just in terms of the way that their uh, their natural form. Uh, it, is man, is malleable let, let me kind of put it that way and so i think that that also maybe plays a role uh and the tattoos um i don't know if that's canonically maybe still the case but i believe that was more of the the legends that has um persevered through time and that they're not being a new canon answer my number five on this list is Tusken Raiders, and I don't even really know what to say about them too specifically. I do kind of think that we're overdue for a more prominent look into Tusken Raider culture on the Star Wars main stage. We got to see them in a slightly new context at the beginning of season two of The Mandalorian, which was really, really cool. Um, it's just like this really interesting visual design. They look awesome. They're obviously uh, very primitive, uh, and I think that that whatever goes on just amongst themselves is very ripe for for dramatic storytelling. I'm a Tatooine enthusiast, so generally stuff that happens on Tatooine I'm excited about. Um, and that just might be because I'm a Star Wars purist and I like the original stuff a lot. Uh, so I want to learn more about this race. I, I think that they're integral to the original vision of Star Wars, uh, again, because of origins. And, and so I'd like to see that uh, returned a little bit. And maybe, maybe the avenue to do that is with... Um, is uh, with Cobb Vanth or a little bit more Mando stuff or for God's sake uh, through the book of Boba Fett. But I think we can see more Tuscans, and I think I'd like to see them in a little more civilized context if possible. I'm really confused by that one, Colin. I got to say, not that your choice of Tuscans. I mean, on uh, everything you're saying uh, about uh, them being essential to Star Wars, I agree with. But I think they just had their huge, giant, almost movie in that first episode. It's an hour-long story about sure. the relationship of humans and Tuscans. But they're not—they're not individual characters in it, though. They're still just Tuscan Raiders uh, as a variable. No, okay, that—that that is fair. So you, okay, I see what you mean. You'd like to see maybe a bit more of a of a starring performance of a Tuscan. Okay, that makes sure. sense. Yeah. I can totally see that. There have been some stories uh, through like a certain point of view. They've done some like novels, like stories and whatnot. And there was supposed to be um, now I forget how a Sherrod Het. I don't know if he is a Tuscan or what exactly. The story was there, but Tuscan involved. There was a lot of Tuscan involvement in the Kenobi Legends story, 
Uh, and additionally, that was supposed to be the original adaptation for the Kenobi show. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was very happy when they scrapped that for what what it sounds like we're getting. Uh, everything it sounds like we're getting, I believe, is more important as opposed to just kind of a side adventure. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, I believe there were some very important uh, Tuscan characters in that. Uh, it's been a while since I've kind of gone up with a plot summary of that book. Uh, um, but uh, that has shown some focus. And there's also been some really cool storytelling around Tuscans uh, with their relationship to Darth Vader uh, and the fear of Anakin. And mm. so uh, Darth Vader has gone back um, and he did another round two, slaughtering some Tuscans uh, in his Darth Vader suit. Uh, and he became a true legend. And so there is the legend of the man with the, with the blade uh, and then the, the man in the suit, the, the, or the not even the man in the suit, but the monster in the suit. And so... Uh, it, they really have built up the lore of uh, how Darth Vader has become um, the, the the menace of all the Tuscans, and really that's that's what Anakin would have would have wanted with how much he hated them. Yeah, imagine how how that would be perceived to the primitive Tuscan raiders who just. Uh, for all intents and purposes, just see this demon ar arrive in their town. Kaiser Soze, if you will, just like comes to town and just cleans house. And then all they can do is just like tell people, beware the man with the blade because we don't know who he is, but mm. holy shit, he killed my cousin. Yeah. And it's it, like a ton of intensity around that. And it's also, it's a, not a cut and dry story. They are vicious and yeah. they are in some ways monsters, but they're not mindless. No. And so I'm going to pick, there's my Klee Glars there. Um, but it's important to make that distinction. And I think that's what Mandalorian does really well is it reminds you that they're not in the rank or category. They have a civilization and there is, an, uh, there is a way that if uh, they didn't have to be on the defense at all times with the human race, that they may be more inclined to work with as opposed to capture, uh, you know, ex-slaves picking mushrooms off moisture evaporators um, and then torturing them until their Jedi son comes to rescue them and slaughter a village. And so, well, and maybe one of them is special. Like maybe he's just evolved, you know, a thousand years beyond the rest. And that gives him the faculties to kind of, uh, develop a more interesting character who's still a part of the Tuscan culture, or maybe he's uh, like a hybrid, you know, because of, of some kind of breeding situation or whatever. Like that could be kind of interesting. Somebody is part Tuscan Raider. That might be interesting. Yeah. I don't know how that would be possible, be, but like, who knows? I don't know how that would be either. I, I do think a force sensitivity angle though um, could be good to bring back on that side of things. Yeah. And Tuscans, like you said, absolutely essential to star Wars. Uh, and there is a, a, a good amount of lore about them with, of course, their, their banthas and their, uh, their gaffy sticks. And I thought that was cool about how we learned a lot more about gaffy sticks and yeah. really got to see Boba Fett use one to their absolute most intense usage. Yeah. Uh, and so it goes to show that the sand people, uh, they're not to be trifled with either. So time for number five from you. Uh, I'm going with another, uh, original trilogy, uh, kind of ridiculous looking uh, race, but an absolutely uh, essential one. Uh, it's a trap. We're going with the Moncalas. Nice. Uh, the giant fish people. There are a few things that are also more Star Warsy than just taking the most random uh, alien or animal costume 
that you can find uh, affixing it to the head of a crew member uh, or uh, extra and whatnot, and then finding some other obscure uh, secondary um, science fiction outfit to pair with that ridiculous head. And then bam, you've got an original trilogy Star Wars character. That's right. A race becomes born. Other characters follow suit with slight variations that have costumes that cost tens of thousands of dollars versus the 20 cents that the first one cost. Uh, and I think Mon Cala are probably my favorite example of just the, the thrown together race because you get such an impressive character in Akbar who's leading the charge. And then probably an even better character in Radis, uh, one who's based off of Winston Churchill a lot in the way that he was voiced uh, and kind of decision makings that, that were made around the, the way he kind of uh, instructed the battle and uh, his decision making in the war room beforehand. And so uh, they're just, they're an important leadership uh, race in the Rebel Alliance as well. And that shows that the Rebel Alliance is not as cut and dry as the Empire and that they're more welcoming to all other races. You get to see that in the uh, War Room and Return of the Jedi as they're planning uh, and they get the, the plans from the many Bothans. Um, so it's it, they're, they're so 80s, uh, but in the best possible way. Uh, and I had to put them on Cal on here, especially after um, seeing them in their beautiful uh, cable knit sweaters in Mandalorian. I was just going to mention that too, because I mean, you're right. They're, they're a great example of the scrappiness in the production design of the original mm -hmm. trilogy, because they don't even try to make them not look like fish or, or, octop no. or octopi. But why not then take the opportunity to further develop that? And I'm sure they did in the interim as well, although the main stage, this, that's my new Star Wars term, the main stage, uh, in the Mandalorian, it's just like, lean all the way into them being like fishermen in a fishing village that looks just like our fishermen in fishing villages, except they have fish heads. Um, and like so many of these guys are like good dudes. Like you said, they, they're strong in leadership. And so there's a lot of heroic figures of this species and they're obviously memorable and it's a trap is, uh, you know, one of the more iconic star Wars quotes. And so that's a really good one. I, I didn't put it on my, on my top six list, but I definitely paused for an honorable mention because yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and they bring back uh, Aftab Akbar in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, Chris Terrio, he plays him. I think that's kind of cool to get a little bit of succession there going. Uh, and then they also have um, a whole arc in the Clone Wars uh, about the big war between the Mon Cala and the Quarren. Uh, and that's a very um, uh, important, long-running uh, battle that has existed in the galaxy for, for a very long time. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, it's just an important race, the same way you would pick two countries that have been at, at odds for all, all time. The Quarren and the Mon Cala are that in the galaxy far, far away. My number four are the Kaminoans. We have discussed this race uh, a lot and, and definitely disproportionately to the amount of screen time they actually have in the movies. I think because, I mean, they're cool unto themselves and then more importantly, they're, so impactful on the overall Star Wars story in terms of like their cloning facility. Uh, where so many great Star Wars characters are like gritty and rugged, differently Kaminoans are stoic and pristine. And that provides like a real eeriness to their society. Suddenly they're not like, they're not scary because you might, you know, get your arm cut off. They're scary because they might be like changing your brain chemistry or something. Uh, I also wanted to take an opportunity to celebrate uh, 
an alien that couldn't be a person in a costume, which many of my installments on this list is. Like, it's clearly a CGI. The long necks, like the weird shape. They are bipedal humanoid, but they're but they're just very different looking in a, in a sort of animated kind of way. I'm just a huge fan of, of Camino in general and the Kaminoans in particular. Uh, so happy you had this on your list. It was the one that I felt the worst about cutting on my list. Uh, it was number seven of, the, of mine. So just on the, the highest of the honorable mentions. But the Kaminoans are hugely important uh, in the entire Skywalker saga. And then I think they will continue to be in the expansion of Star Wars uh, canon and moving forward. We've seen the fact that uh, Kaminoans were a huge, huge plot point in the Bad Batch uh, and their relationship with the Empire moving forward. Uh, in addition, of course, the likely connections that has with Snoke. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about that when I tell you the the, the, the key episodes of Bad Batch to watch as well. Uh, but the Kaminoans, like you said, they're very eerie. They're your classic alien style mm. where they're the beady eyes and, or the big eyes and the beady heads and the weird shaped bodies. Um, but they're white and they have a very sophisticated aura about them. And you you know not to trust them, but... You also know that they're smart and they're just, they present a very clear uh, image of what you imagine the rest of their race is, even though we don't meet very many of them. There right. are only a few that we get to know by name, but it's, it feels representative of enough because you see what they create in the masses as well. Uh, and so they are one of the, the most prequely things about the prequels. Yeah. But I think they're one of the most, um, George Lucas getting exactly what he wants. And maybe that went wrong sometimes where George Lucas maybe shouldn't have gotten everything exactly what he wanted, where someone maybe should have reined him in on a couple of things. I think this is an example of one of those things that maybe someone would have reined him in yeah. and it would have been wrong to do so. Yeah, this worked. Yes, this absolutely did. And yeah. I think that there's a chance maybe other people wouldn't have said that. And I think this is the a swing and a hit. And also just like their calmness, their eeriness creates this really interesting power dynamic where like Obi-Wan goes there knowing not to trust the Kaminoans and he, you know, gets what he expected essentially, but he still kind of preserves this reverence towards what's happening because that's what he's being served up. And so like... Uh, Camino's very quiet. I mean, other than what happens outside in the rain, but there's mm. like that really isn't kind of interesting and otherwise uncommon power dynamic and tone in Star Wars. And and so it was it was well saved for this particular moment. Yes. And when you have such a, a fast paced movie, it creates a really also wonderful uh, pause before then again, the seismic charges and the battle right. in the rain and so all these things. And so it's also a really great beat in that movie. And so really glad they made it on your list. Uh, number four on your list. Number four for me, uh, very controversial, uh, what, definitely the most controversial uh, race in Star Wars prior to 1999. Uh, and I would say probably the number two most controversial race of all time for Star Wars, but never for me. Uh, they maybe uh, did a little better than they probably logically should have against the Empire, but the Ewoks punch above their weight. Yeah. I am A-OK -okay with that. 
so Ewoks are my number four and gotta love them. Uh, whether it's cute little Wicket uh, or Chief Chirpa, uh, Low Gray, uh, the Shaman. Uh, there's uh, all of the Ewoks, they have their own stories. Uh, the Ewoks got their own show. Uh, the Ewoks is a true, they're a true culture. They have their own language. Uh, and like 3PO, 3PO, when he speaks to them, 3PO speaks Yuzum to the Ewoks, but they can understand. He's like, that's a primitive dialect. And he speaks over 6 million forms of dialect, but he couldn't communicate even fully on form with the Ewoks because they were that primitive, but it didn't matter. The Ewoks still had a culture and 3PO was still able to communicate with them. And so were our heroes. And they were the original example of truly being able to come over that barrier of communication and not being able to understand one culture from another, uh, but being able to get over that hurdle and ultimately uh, become so much stronger learning from one another and creating this uh, multicultural team that could take down the empire. Uh, and then on top of that, there's a cute little murder bears. Yeah, there is also <laughs> there's also this other angle of I'm not a I never played um, Battlefront too much. I, I I think I played it for like an afternoon one time um, I, to do as like as much of the storyline as I could. But there's I think a, a mode online um, and it's nighttime mode and it's like dusk and you're either an Ewok or a stormtrooper mm. and it's horror mode style. Uh, and it's it just goes to show that, OK, I get why the Ewoks could have been able to take out this, the stormtroopers and why they would have been absolutely terrifying. They're just small little murder bears. Yeah. And that's totally works when you think about it. And the number of things that we're already stretching our imagination on in Star Wars. Let's make these cute little things uh, as strong as as strong as oxes. Uh, and give them little catapults that work extremely well. They're brilliant engineers uh, as a result of all that. And they also have the most badass homes ever in Bright Tree Village. Oh, yeah, the, the tree city for sure. You're so right, by the way, that like we're choosing, we're stretching our imagination to watch this fantasy epic. And for some reason, we're choosing to quibble over some like detail about realism i mean like mm. it, it's star wars none of it is realistic and so for that reason i've really never understood this this controversy about whether or not the ewoks uh as a race should should be uh, a point of contention for people because they were able to assist in the overthrowing of the empire and yeah like they punched above their weight they definitely that's kind of the point is that they're they're unexpectedly powerful like you you see them as teddy bears and there's so much more than that uh it's not like there's that much specifics in their brute strength actually demonstrated, but there's also like guns and spaceships and Wookiees assisting them. And so I completely buy into it. And also something Star Wars has always done really well initially with, uh, with R2 and then going forward is uh, cuteness being a conduit for welcoming new Star Wars fans in. We see that with with BB-8 and yes. with Grogu most recently. Certainly Yoda has a, a, a factor of that. And then like more people, in particular probably children, got excited about Star Wars for the first time because Ewoks are adorable. And then like, by the way, adults also like adorable things. It's like some of the funniest scenes in that movie. We talked a long time ago about that great scene where Leia meets uh, Wicket for the first time. It's just like how utterly delightful it is. So yeah. It's a hat. Yeah. Yes. You can't <laughs> tell me nothing about Ewoks. They're, that's why they're my number three, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, oh, yeah. perfect. That aligned great. 
Um, because yeah, they had their little, uh, like the Verkel trap at the start where they've got like that dead piece of meat. Uh, and then like, yes, the, our, our, most of our heroes don't fall for it, but Chewie does. Yeah. And that's, that's enough for the Ewoks to get the upper hand. Uh, and they play it one step at a time. Uh, there are some Ewok casualties, but you see at the end there that they're also like, there's a lot of bones that the Ewoks have at their camp. They've killed a lot of things. Yeah. Why did they have a dress uh, for Leia? Yeah. That was that, yeah. Did you bring that up on the podcast yet? Because I think you brought it up to me. No, not, uh, I not saw it. Ago. I saw it as like a meme recently. Like, why did they have a dress for Leia? Oh, there's maybe a dark a dark history there. <laughs> I wonder if there is a canonical or legend story that makes it less creepy. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Yeah. Uh, but if it, otherwise, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that she had a whole change of clothes there and that they they redid her hair and everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, the Ewoks are essential. And I would like uh, a strong return from the Ewoks. I was happy to see Wicket uh, and Palmet, his son, in The Rise of Skywalker for a quick second. Uh, Pikpa is uh, a slicer, uh, so a hacker, uh, and was in one. Is in a book, uh, Last Shot, uh, right. and was an Ewok. Um, but I would like to see another Ewok character um, Me too. have some significance. The problem is that the Ewoks are not supposed to be well known, so it does need to be uh, post rise of Skywalker era mm -hmm. so that we're like, okay, that's some like 30 plus years of being more known in the galaxy. Uh, and then I think that makes a little bit more sense for there to be enough Ewoks out and about because Peekpa's problem uh, was that uh, logically, uh, I don't know how uh, Peekpa got so good at technology in such a short amount of time to be good at hacking, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> seeing as that Ewoks didn't really have any technology no. uh, by the time of Return of the Jedi. So little things like that. But uh, the Ewoks are characters I would love to see more of because they're just so damn cute. They are a secret species, but would their role in the Battle of Endor like bring them to galactic prominence? Like, Would more people be aware of them because of what yeah, happened? Yeah, well, I mean, just the Rebel Alliance itself. I mean, it was small, but it was mighty in power and in, in power and influence. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, and there were some Ewoks that I believe came with the rebellion. I mean, I don't think there were many, but I think uh, I I only read parts of Aftermath and a while ago, and so I don't remember if uh, there were a few stories that were associated Ewok based. Okay, uh, it's your turn again for number two. Uh, well, my number three, I have because you did your number three. Uh, oh, yeah. yes. So my my number three actually would be uh, much different in size than an Ewok, and that would be uh, a gangster, the Huts. Lots ah, of gangsters, right? Of course, got to go Huts, with yeah. the vile gangsters, the Huts. Uh, they are the com they they go against the bipedal design, True. but these just ton weighted slugs. Uh, that are just disgusting and eat everything that they can in sight. And they're slimy and they come from this like stinky, sweaty planet. And they like Jabba has uh, like, there's the, there's the hut, the hut council and there's like Gardula the hut. And there's uh, Mama the Hut, who is the fattest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, and then there's also like uh, I think Marlo the Hut, who looks like uh, like a little like Brando. Um, so like they, like there's some like cheesiness, but then there's also Zero the Hut, and Zero the Hut is incredibly cheesy uh, and is one of the villains in the Clone Wars uh, TV show and movie. Uh, and his voice is based off of Truman Capote's. Yes, that's uh, right. And so 
he is one of the most ridiculous characters in Star Wars. If you don't know that he's based off Truman Capote, he's even more ridiculous. And so I only found that out maybe within, I think within the last year. Mm. And so that made the character slightly more tolerable, but still one of the most difficult to watch characters. But in that same vein, it doesn't take away from my love of the huts. No, no. And the fact that I so desperately, so desperately want the huts to play a large role in a star Wars film again. Yeah. I felt their presence missing in the sequel trilogy in a way. If we get a 10, 11, 12, I want uh, the secondary or tertiary villain of the entire next trilogy to be a hut. I want big hut gameplay. I want uh, a gangster who I want a political gangster hut. Uh, I want a hut who has, uh, deceived enough uh, worlds into thinking that, oh, I'm going to do good for you uh, and really is just building his criminal empire. Uh, and like, I want to see a hut take the, the political rise that Palpatine took, yeah. but doing it from not the clean world of Naboo, but from the, the scuzziest parts of the galaxy and trying to like, win by being like just almost overtly horrible uh i want to see some real just gangster filth in star wars uh star wars is classic good and evil and so yeah of course you want to see uh more jedi and sith but i think the huts are another phenomenal example of just almost evil incarnate in a yeah. in a way like it's, it's hard to even think of a good hut we see rada who's jabba's son who's just a baby uh, so it's not evil right away, but the huts like, and there's also the, the hut that um, I had mentioned before in Cobb Vance town that they're raising to be a good and noble hut. Right. That would also be potentially interesting. Uh, but you just think of huts as being evil. So intrinsically, they're just evil in a very different way from Palpatine, who is like, he has such an in, insatiable uh, thirst for power, power, unlimited power. But like the huts or at least Jabba the hut, it's kind of just like greed incarnate. And so like nothing will get in his way. And like, yes, he's a gangster and that he like runs a crime syndicate and uh, he has this hierarchy designed based on those who will do his evil bidding. But he lives like, uh, I don't know, like an ancient Roman emperor. Like he hmm. sits on this throne, right? And he's fed disgusting food and he has like human slaves. And so like, I think it's just about excess with, with, huts because like i mean they're like the perfect visual representation of of excess they just look so vile and disgusting oh absolutely i just think that yes excess in the the crime worlds where they focused but who's to say and you look at zero zero was someone who had more political associations he would he he had um I don't know. J Jabba, Jabba's got some political association. Jabba deals with some high target shit. Um, but Zero also lived on Coruscant. And so there was, of course, more likelihood for those kind of relationships. I don't know. I'd just like to see maybe uh, a hut not only dealing with bounty hunters, right. per se. Well, you know, realistically, we, we, I mean, this is bounty hunters, but we could see huts in like two months in the book of Boba Fett. Like probably not Jabba oh, the Hutt because that would require a flashback, but like huts of some kind, pretty likely considering we're in the palace. 
Oh, I hope we do. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of saying these sort of things. I think that there is, I mean, that is their, of course, more prominent spot that they've been in. And I hope we do see it there. But I would like to see a hut in a, in a different role. Someone playing in a similar role to Zero the Hut, but not Zero the Hut. <laughs> right. Okay, my number two is Jawas, kind of the antithesis of the Ewoks. You're also number two? My number two as well. Oh, bingo. I mean... They're, they're definitely some of the more interesting creatures in Star Wars. And this this kind of extends to droids as well. Like some, so, some of the best ones have this like very clearly defined role that they play within like the economy of the galaxy. They have a vocation that's very strict uh, and a culture that they're specifically responsible for. It's just like such a clever idea that this like gaggle of shady little creatures uh, roam the desert in this big mobile warehouse because they're like black market sellers i think that's such a cool concept and um yeah they have they have a purpose i'm not really sure what what else i have to say about them but like there is like a comedic element a cuteness sort of to jawas but there's also they're they're not cuddly like ewoks they they have this feeling of unfamiliarity which stinky yeah they're just like grimy and gross but also like silly and and goofy and so like tuscan raiders they really lend to that original visual design of star wars um great great concept and they're gross without their hoods but like with their hoods like that's that's one of the great looks yeah they just they're so star wars as you said they just remind me of being a kid and i mean that's the only oh that was that would be my height if i had to get a role in star wars i guess i'd be a jawa yeah um and it would be like i had a lot of jawa action figures and like micro machines and jawas just they always seemed accessible. Yeah. They were in the first few minutes of A New Hope. So if you're going to watch the trilogy, the Jawas were, were the first thing you were going to see. You're going to spend some time with the Jawas. And so the amount of time I've spent just watching those first few scenes in A New Hope, the amount of time you spend with the Jawas as a result of that is crazy. And the sand crawler is fascinating. All the different droids that are in there, the bargaining that they do with uh, Uncle Owen, and then they're just like, oh, no, no, no. and they have the the classic Wutini, and um, it's just the Jawas. Uh, we learned so much more about them. We saw the off-world Jawas in Mandalorian as well. Yeah, where we got to see the sand crawler and how they had like um picnic tables on the top right. and the the ion blaster which is just such a great design uh where it's got that almost like long looking silencer on it um which is isn't a silencer but we see it used on r2 and then on din and on so many different uh characters and droids and whatnot uh but the jawas just are a design that makes sense for the desert uh and these little scavengers that just like you said, they have their own economy and a purpose, mm -hmm. which you don't always see across the board, but does make sense in that lived in galaxy of Star Wars. And the Jawas feel lived in in that way. And they're also not cut and clean, perfect across the board. You would probably see Jawas all of the same height if you um, had done them maybe at a later date, for example. Uh, but that was one of the wonderful elements of the original trilogy is they they had that variety and it created that lived in feel that these races could have. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't think there's anything more I can say about them, but they're very I, for, I did forget that they were in the Mandalorian. Are they in Jakku? Because it seems like an obvious thing that Ray would be having to deal with irritating Jawas all the time. That feels like a missed opportunity. 
Uh, I feel like that would have actually been, um, I think that would have been a, a bit of a slap in the face to Tatooine almost. Yeah. And just like, it, it, and it would have been, it would have given too much credit to the people who said it was, oh, too much like uh, A New Hope. True. Because it would have made Jakku, I think, a little too much like Tatooine. It already uh, is kind of riding that line. It does already ride that line yeah. for sure. Uh, and so I don't think the Jawas would have been the best way. But I like the fact that it was a little bit more of like a, um, almost like a Jedha terrain. Uh, I think it's, uh, what is it, Arvala 7? Mm-hmm. I think that's where they are when in, in Mando. Yeah. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's uh, it's great to see them return. And they had the red eyes in that as opposed to yellow. Is there a direct translation for Wutini? Oh, that's a great question. How do I not know that? Surely, uh, because like that is one of the more iconic, like non-basic phrases in Star Wars. And it's, I mean, if the, if the Jawas are there, you're going to hear one of them say Wutini. And so it seems to me there would be some kind of canonical explanation for what that means. Whether it's just like, you know, run for cover or like go get them. It's probably something very basic. Uh, it just, oh, it means astonishment. <laughs> okay. It's just like what they say when they're surprised. Yes, exactly. Okay. So we say, <gasps> and they say Wutini. Wutini. <laughs> okay. Good enough. That's good enough for me. Hey, what are the chances we uh, we don't have the same number one? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, what pretty, are we? What's, pretty, what's your number one? He's stroking his Grogu ear. Yeah, I mean, whatever the hell they're called, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's pretty obvious the number one. Uh, I mean, this is not like it's it's this alien with the most like central impact on the overall saga. Uh, it's one of the the past and ongoing great mysteries uh, of intrigue about Star Wars. And I, I've said it a lot already this evening, but this species has it all: like powerful badassery and cuteness and good humor. Obviously, great dialogue for the more somber moments from Yoda in particular incredible development for its prominent characters of which we've only had two and then three overall. Um, And it's also, I think the most conventionally alien, like of all the aliens we've talked about tonight, like aliens at their purest form in science fiction are little green men and Yoda and Grogu are the two greatest little green men ever put on screen, whatever they are. And so that is the species that uh, we're both putting in number one. Absolutely. I think it's amazing that I don't know how many times we've done these, but I don't think we've had a single one before we've shared the same number one and two. Yeah, Uh, that might be the first time, but it does make perfect sense. Of course, this is the answer. And for all the things you said, you you summed up the main points, of course, that I wanted to as well there. It's, It's the mystery that still surrounds them. Do they all have the force? I think they probably do. Looks like how how big can they get? Will Grogu get a little bit bigger? When do they learn how to speak? How does their age work? Do they age at an accelerated rate? Uh, Yaddle didn't speak with the same pattern that Yoda did. Who left their planet first? Mm. Where is their planet? Is their planet in this galaxy? What's their relationship to the Force? Is it beyond the fact that they all have the Force or do they have a different understanding of the Force? All of these are still complete wide open questions about the species. (laughs) Also, what is the name of the species? I don't know. Yeah. How long do they live? Did, did Yoda live to be 900 and that was a record setter and Yaddle's like 600 was more average? I mean, we have no idea. And Grogu opens the door for all of these answers. And like you said, we have these two characters, three in total. I mean, the number of uh, Jawas we've seen on screen. I mean, how many Jawas can you name? None. I mean, how many Ewoks can you name versus the number of them that are on screen? 
uh, and versus how many of them have significance or prominence. Uh, if you name your top hundred favorite Star Wars characters, um, I might have two Ewoks on there if I'm naming my top hundred, but I'm also going to have two of this race. Yeah. If you ask me to name my top 15, I'm still going to have two of this race. Yeah. I'm not having two Ewoks. In. No, exactly. Yeah, good point. And so that makes a huge difference. And that can't be done with any other race in, in Star Wars other than humans. And the fact that this completely alien in every way race, um, other than their dialogue is, is basic, is English in that regard, um, is the one that we still find the most relatable, is the one that still teach us, yeah. is, teaches us the most human lessons, is the one that is the better human uh, in most cases is the is the better force user. It goes to show that oh, Yoda is the most powerful in in his time period in that regard. Yes, Luke Luke becomes more powerful than Yoda. Uh, they are what we they are what we are what they grow beyond. Yeah, <laughs> that is the true burden of all masters, uh, and that goes to show that Yoda was the most powerful up up until a, a time, uh, and not all of the people, not all of the humans. Uh, and I think that's an important thing for Luke to learn right there. And it goes and it goes beyond what his expectations are. And it goes beyond what our expectations are as viewers. Darth Vader uh, is this monster, uh, but he's like this robot. But we just learned that he's a human. We just learned as they take off his helmet that he is a human in The Empire Strikes Back. And all at the same time, we're learning about this new powerful little creature. And so it creates this real important uh, conversation that continues throughout the rest of Star Wars on the value of races that aren't humans and the fact that yeah. they need to be valued at a significantly higher rate. And then you get into the conversations that we just circle back with onto things like Tuscans, where we really start to explore that more and how that's been overlooked in the past. Well, they've also just very decisively since the beginning been very preservative about the species of Yoda. And so I think probably were they to go back to the drawing board, and when I say they, I kind of mean George, uh, I'm not sure y Yaddle would ever come to exist because I think that was probably, it was probably just an oversight of how important it was to preserve the uniqueness of, of of Yoda, the specialness of Yoda. It's okay because it's not like Yaddle was ever like evolved into anything and she still kind of remains a mystery and surely she's got a cool story to tell. But like, and it doesn't take away from that wonderful reveal at the end of the pilot episode of Mandalorian when you see that, hey, this is another one of these things. But as you say, the potency of significance in this, uh, this species in the galaxy far, far away is way stronger than any other species, including, by the way, humans, because there's lots of, like, expendable, unimportant humans in the galaxy far, far away, too. And so, like, this is arguably the most important, for lack of a better word, species in the galaxy far, far away. And by the way, just to piggyback on what you said about about what we grow beyond and, and the power of Yoda in particular, I think that the great lesson of the character of Yoda is that he is so powerful because he's so decent because he doesn't mm. really make it more complicated than good is good. And he's the best at being good. And so you really hope that we get a similar uh, ultimate development for Grogu. I mean, of course there's going to be drama along the way and he won't necessarily grow to be as powerful as Yoda. Maybe he'll outdo Yoda, but, uh, it's as I said. It's like it's one of the great ongoing mysteries of Star Wars, 
and it's it's very rich but i at most appreciate that they're very careful with what they give us because that mystery is valuable to them too absolutely and i agree with what you said about yaddle yaddle was actually uh an early design for yoda hmm. and they thought of yoda with like long brown hair um and so they realized it kind of looks more like a like a female and so let's make it a different creature and they stuck her on the council uh there was also people who wanted to make uh, a baby yoda or a, a kid yoda for uh the the young the bear clan scene the young the younglings when yoda is training them in attack of the clones right uh, and obi-wan comes in so they wanted to have a, a young little yoda in that but george lucas kiboshed that and so I think he was starting to, at that point, with the fact that he had removed Yaddle, realizing, oh, that was probably a mistake. Mm -hmm. So I think you're very, I think you're right by them taking Yaddle out and then not doing anything for so long and then still adding nothing to that side of the story. They go into the Clone Wars. They don't explain that. We, they explain Force Ghosts and Yoda learns how to become one. They don't explain where Yoda comes from. And so like George Lucas stayed away from this for a while. And so the fact that uh, Dave Filoni and Favreau got to, to reopen this box uh, was was quite the honor for them to do so. And uh, it's been a treat for all of us. And also, if you think about it, like had there been a yodeling in the youngling scene, it conceivably could have been Grogu because we know he trained at the temple and he's 50 years old by the time of the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It would have it would have made complete sense under those circumstances yeah. uh, had that character uh, existed and been alive. Because then, of course, people made all the memes about um, Anakin going through and killing everyone and being like, I always liked you, Grogu. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, so that's our top six list. Uh, I, I We have been going long. So is there any like honorable mentions that you really want to prioritize giving a moment to? Uh, I don't know if I necessarily want to give a, a huge moment to anyone, but I'd like to mention a few for sure. Um, so the Twi'leks, I mean, the bit, whether it's Bib Fortuna or the like Hera, the, the many different colored Twi'leks we get, uh, they're also equal to Wookiees in terms of downtrodden. Yes. A very enslaved race across Star Wars and also very alien-like. Uh, Duros, uh, they're the, the kind of the blue weird eraser head guys, with yeah. the big red eyes, um, and Cad Bane, who you're going to learn a little bit more about, uh, cause I'm quite confident will be in Book of Boba Fett. So Duros is a very cool species, uh, Bith. So our good old cantina band was figuring down in the modal nodes, uh, a very ugly species, but I would love to see Biths get some more significance. I'd love to see a Bith get some spotlight. Um, and so it would be nice to have um, a significant Bith character uh, that has speaking time and then people would know because the recognition would be there immediately. And that's what's really nice is yeah. this is something that even people who have never seen Star Wars before would know is, oh, that's a Star Wars character. And you could build a lot around that. That's not something that you necessarily can take for granted in Star Wars. And that's a race that they've maybe taken for granted a little bit. Yeah. Um, Rodians are another one that we've seen a, a lot of and would also uh, fit that bill and maybe having um, a character that we could like for a change in the Rodians. Uh, there's been certainly some animated Rodian characters people can like, but um, another one being Toydarians and Dugs. Uh, those were some great Tatooine uh, Phantom Menace introductions. I love them both. I would love to see more of yeah. uh, Dugs uh, in particular, I think. Toydarians, we've seen a lot of in the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, but more live action Toydarians, I think would be cool. But Dugs in general are just, uh, I, I want more pod racing. 
uh, and there's pod racing on Malastare, and that's where the Dugs are from. So that would make a lot of sense if, uh, in particular, Dugs are ultimate pod racers. So give me some more Dugs in a pod race. Yeah, like imagine that uh, that Sebulba is actually not a good pod racer on Malastare. Like imagine he had to uh, leave. No, no, no. He's he, he was he was still uh, one of the best in in, in the galaxy. Oh, okay. Uh, even 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 with that, but. Malastare is just one of the the more popular tracks. I think that would be like saying um, he's he's a golfer from California. Uh, a lot of good golfers are from California. Sometimes the best in the world comes from California, but not always. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then some sequel trilogy ones, uh, Abid Nettos. Uh, so they're uh, kind of very long uh, fish-faced people. Elo Asti was an Abid Netto. Abid Nettos are mostly named after... Um, what is it? Um, there's a band that, uh, do you know the song? Oh, what is it? Uh, so there's Elo Asti and then there's, um, there, all of the characters names that are Abed Nettos have their names are slight variations of songs of a band that JJ Abrams is a fan of. Oh, okay. uh, and so there's like four or five in the sequel trilogy. Uh, I can't remember the band. It's some, uh, yeah, it's not coming to me. But anyway, they're a cool species and they have kind of a funny language. They feel extremely Star Warsy, And so it was nice to see them. It, I'd be I would like to see maybe a species of more significance uh, with it as an avid netto with a bunch more lines. Uh, and then a Shakiran. I think those are kind of cool. They're in The Rise of Skywalker. It's this little character named Yipset. It's just a background character. You'd never see it in a million years. It doesn't have any significance. Kieran Shaw has played a lot of characters in Star Wars. He's played a ton of small characters in Star Wars. Uh, and so the species is a, is a Shaw Kieran. Mm. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's one of his characters in Rise of Skywalker. And they're really cute. They just look like, um, like bird people. Uh, they, or like mole people almost. Uh, they've got weird big eyes and uh, they're just a, a very cool design that I'd like to see some more of. What about the little guy in Rise of Skywalker? That we like, and his name is escaping me right now. The funny little guy, Babu Freak. Yeah, he's yeah, an yeah. Anzellan. Right. Yes, Anzellans are very, very cool. Um, uh, we only know Babu Freak. They're cute little guys. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily need to see like a bunch more Anzellans or like a colony of Anzellans, um, but I'd like to see more Babu. Yeah, uh, I think I think Babu could have would be appropriate to fall in a similar category to to Maz and Yoda, where you don't see. Uh, many of their race agreed uh, Maz Kanata is another one where you don't know what the hell she is yeah that's a good point I hadn't thought about that same with Oshia Bastoon although I think there is some wording that Oshi may have been a, a human-ish thing at some point there's no need um, to preserve what he is that doesn't need to be some great mystery I'm sure we'll get more of him eventually yes we will there's yeah. a quick mention of that in the news um, but just the only other ones I wanted to mention would be from uh, television that would be a Lasat. Uh, and that would be Zeb from Rebels and Chiss. That would be what Thrawn is. So the Chiss, the Ascendancy, that is an incredibly deep and intricate Star Wars race uh, just outside of, that was one of my higher honorable mentions. Uh, I am not as deep into the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy as I would like to have been uh, just because there are such long books and I'm behind in my readings. Uh, but uh, I only know of a few Chiss characters and they're all quite excellent. Uh, and the race... Uh, has a deep uh, connection with the force as well. Skywalkers was the young girls who are Chiss. 
uh, have strong connections to the force that fades over time. Oh. They're called they're called skywalkers because they help with their navigation. Uh, and so it's like they, they do <laughs> young, military duty as a young uh, girl. And so by the time that they're like a, a, a young adult, their force sensitivity is worn off, but they've done significant like military service. And then they're generally like highly appreciated and respected in society. Uh, and then there's like, a, it's, it's a very strategic and uh, fascinating culture. Um, and we're going to, of course, learn more as, as Thrawn becomes more prominent and more people learn about him. Uh, and as that uh, novel series finishes off. Okay, well, we're at an hour now. Let's do a quick news. Uh, not a ton in the news. Uh, really, the main thing to focus on is uh, the great uh, information from novels. Uh, so there are, are a bunch of books coming out. Uh, there is one uh, going to be called Shadow of the Sith. This takes place post Return of the Jedi. Uh, this is by uh, Adam Christopher, who is the guy who is going to write the Mandalorian novel. So it's good that he got another awesome uh, concept to do because yeah. this is about um, Luke and Lando uh, searching for Oshia Bestoon and what he was on the hunt for. So this is going to piece together uh, a lot of key things taking place about 10 years before. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. And so uh, this will have information about probably Ochi and what he was looking for from uh, Ray or the fact that he was looking for Ray and the secrets around that, uh, but also learning a lot more about Lando, his lost daughter, mm -hmm. uh, and the kind of the depression that he went through from that and teaming up with Luke to try and restore some semblance of hope to the galaxy by by following this trail of dark side information. So that one sounds fascinating and could really bring a lot of really enrich the rise of Skywalker by making it make some, uh, a little bit more sense on, on really the, the sloppiest part of the story is everything to do with Ochi. And so if you make some of that stuff make more sense, then that'd be phenomenal because yeah. that's really the sloppiest parts. And you have often said that there's really nothing that's problematic in rise of Skywalker that can't be fixed. It doesn't have to be retconned. It just needs to be tidied up a little bit. And this is maybe step one. Yeah, I absolutely would agree with that. And yep. to be able to have that stuff from the book is a really good starting place because it allows you to to flesh it out more. And then you can kind of really figure out, okay, well, what are the key pieces there that we want to run with to make this make uh, a lot more sense and to really flesh it out? And that's what the Clone Wars did because then all those key pieces that uh, really stood out in the Clone Wars getting fleshed out in the Mandalorian for the slightly larger audience to have. And that's yes. always what's best to do. Okay. Uh, another one is Brotherhood, uh, and so this one is uh, about Anakin and Obi-Wan, uh, and so this is about that business on Kano de Moindia, uh, and so this is about Anakin getting his uh, Jedi knighthood, um, potentially about Obi-Wan becoming uh, a council member, uh, and so, or maybe not a council member, but... Um, or maybe a council member. I'm not I'm trying to remember the timeline on that, but this will really uh, be an interesting kind of uh, look at their relationship uh, as brotherhood versus fatherhood. And so, I mean, obviously the book's called Brotherhood, uh, but what uh, each of them kind of sees the other as uh, and how that can be problematic to Anakin's development, um, but also at the same time, um, show where they both probably could have learned from each other a little bit more. And it's probably also going to be ridiculously sad because it will further, my guess is the end result will further cement their relationship and their brotherhood right. that will then be broken. And thus we will then uh, get the Kenobi series 
just right around this time. Oh, that's great. Uh, and so it comes out May 10th. And the heavy rumor is the Kenobi series will be coming out on May the 4th, be with you, right. which would mean this would be coming out right around then, which would make it an Anakin and Obi-Wan May frenzy of 2020, yeah. 22, and I'll be on cloud freaking nine. Yeah. Uh, so I can't wait for that one. And that'll also be like the 45th anniversary too. So it's a nice round number. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Ugh, lots of stuff. Big next year. year. It's going to be insane. Big year. Uh, and um, there's also stories of Jedi and Sith. Uh, and so this one will be focusing. Uh, this is just a bunch of stories about Jedi and Sith. It's one of those kind of compilation books that there are, are a bunch of those um, that have been done throughout Star Wars, whether it was a certain point of view or the stories from the Clone Wars and whatnot. Um, but I'll be interested to see if these are kind of new stories. Um, I think that that's kind of what's uh, implicated there. So that's always good as opposed to retellings, which some of those kind of can be. Uh, and then the last one is Padawan. Uh, and that one is uh, kind of a further uh, look into the relationship of Anakin and Obi-Wan. Uh, sorry, not Anakin and Obi-Wan, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan mm. uh, as master and apprentice, but more focused on Obi-Wan as the apprentice, whereas master and apprentice was a little bit more focused on Qui-Gon as the master and his relationship with the prophecies, whereas this will be a little bit more about Obi-Wan's relationship with his expectations for himself and right. whatnot. So okay. all like a great roster of books that gets me really excited. I've had a bit of an off year on, uh, on reading star Wars books. And so I'm expecting to have uh, an on year in 2022. And so I'm excited for that. Man, so much Obi-Wan stuff. I love that we're getting back into Obi-Wan because he was so sorely missing from the sequel trilogy. And so like we're filling in that, that missing piece of our heart. It's really great. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it is fantastic. Uh, Moses Ingram, further rumors that she's going to be that main Inquisitor villain in that Obi-Wan show. Um, we do have some rumors about uh, potentially the fight scene and how that would kick off uh, with a bit of a bang. Um, and so uh, what we've has been circling through the grapevine is that it starts off with a big, big force push from Obi-Wan. He throws Vader back into a brick wall on a planet that looks maybe like Jeddah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what's been said out there. Uh, and uh, Kamel Nanjiani also, I guess th th this is kind of, I think the last thing I have, uh, this is, is, is what he has said about Obi-Wan because there's not much people can say. And so this is the entirety of kind of, of his comments recently. And there are some things in there uh, that you can pick up on is uh, what his agents had said to him is they want you to play a part in Obi-Wan. Apparently it's substantial. So then I talked to Deborah Chow. We had a great conversation. The character sounded awesome. It was, I was so excited about it. Uh, we had we hadn't seen this exact thing in Star Wars yet. This is like a new version of a type of Star Wars character we've seen before. And she was trying to sell me on it. And I was like, uh, I'm going to do it before the conversation even ends. Yeah. Uh, I had this moment. I heard I heard Ewan was super nice. And then we got to know each other a little bit, just hanging out and talking. And then there was this weird moment and I'm talking to Ewan and they yell action. And he started talking to me and I was like, Oh, I'm talking to Obi-Wan right now. This is not Ewan McGregor. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi I'm talking to. My character's supposed to be a little intimidated by him. And I was, you know, a little intimidated by him. This is fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi. What are you going to do? That's I can hear him saying that too. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that is uh, fantastic to hear just that he's so excited yes. uh, and that it was a pinch me moment for him. And so that is always what you want to hear about people who get cast in Star Wars. Yep. And uh also, it's interesting to hear that it is a new version of a type of Star Wars character we've seen before. I mentioned to you that I've got this weird, 
ridiculous hunch that I think he is an is a Gungan mm. that is not going to be maybe as silly as we've seen all Gungans be in the past. So not Jar Jar, obviously. It's a good idea. Um, I'd be open to that. It, it was probably more likely some variation of a droid mm-hmm. that we haven't seen before. Um, you, I think you men, maybe mentioned that it could, it could be a, like a, a mean protocol droid. Yeah. Um, which uh, we have seen in in comics, but that doesn't mean we can't really see it brought to screen. I mean, K2SO is a sassy reprogrammed droid, but he's strategic analysis. He's a security droid. Uh, so like this makes complete sense to be able to do something like that. And I think that could make sense for also uh, Obi-Wan's patience for 3PO in A New Hope. <laughs> it also could just be Kumail in the flesh, right? That, that hasn't been ruled out. Oh, it totally hasn't been ruled out. Uh, and Kumail is built like a superhero now, so yeah. he could be a Jedi. Sure. Uh, there's no reason he couldn't be. Uh, it's just, I'm not quite sure this is a new version of a type of Star Wars character we've seen before, but I mean, maybe that could be a Jedi, but I'm just... Um, the prominence of it makes me think it's not going to be a flashback. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if there would be, by the sounds of it, I, they're not going to have another Inquisitor. And it sounds, if he's intimidated, that maybe he's not a Jedi. That doesn't make really sound. But then again, Obi-Wan is, maybe he was someone who was a Padawan. He's younger yeah. than Neil McGregor. So maybe he didn't have much training. He's a Padawan in hiding who doesn't have any experience with the force maybe that could right. be kind of cool yeah definitely uh, that that would be something we haven't seen in live action that'd be like a Kanan Jarrus kind of character so that'd be awesome oh yeah okay cool is that all you got that's all I got sir some good happy birthdays uh on Sunday October 17th happy birthday to Felicity Jones on Tuesday the 19th to John Favreau that's today as we're recording a happy birthday to John Favreau he's a he's a big one these days on mm. Thursday October 21st a happy birthday to the great our princess Carrie Fisher and on Saturday, October 23rd, a happy birthday to Amelia Clark. Heavy hitters this week. Absolutely. We would love to hear your uh, your top six lists of your favorite Star Wars aliens that have agency and civilization. I know it's kind of been ill-defined, but hopefully you're able to follow. Uh, send us your lists, any we may have thought to mention, or if you have any differing opinions on Ewoks, we are open to hearing that. You can email <laughs> recorder66podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at recorder66. Please remember to rate and review on your preferred podcast app, or if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.